Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Here we are once again. I've got my good friend and my king of the posse, Miguel Medina. He's out there in Fort Collins, Colorado. He's left California. Miguel, say hello to everybody. Master of the bird dogs. You forgot <laughs> that one. <laughs> What's up, Rich? How's it going? How's it going, world? Uh, I'm good. Hello, I'm good. OCR. We miss you out here, man. That's that's what I hear. Everyone keeps telling me that they miss me, and I'm like, you know what? I miss you guys, but you should just come out to Colorado. I I'm going to, going to do yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's true. That's yeah. right. We got it. We got that clinic coming up. It's going to be pretty sick. I'm excited. Yep. Yeah. Miguel, you had mentioned that you have some clients that you're working with through the Ansi Camp program that had some interesting questions, and I thought that because a lot of people have been telling me that they really enjoy it when we talk about these types of things and answer some questions for folk. Let's go ahead and do this. What do you say? What do you got somebody that has anything interesting to talk about? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I always try and stay on top of uh, all the questions that my that my athletes have with the anti camp. And so I told them, hey, I'm doing a podcast with Rich. If you got any awesome questions, I would love to hear them right now. And so obviously the first one is going to be, you know, when are you coming out to the East Coast, which I told them that's being worked on. But otherwise, um, one of the first questions that we got is from my client, Heath Wagner, and he's a great athlete. He, he's been doing some BFs, but he's been having some issues with heel pain. He used to run in Brooks, which would give him like lots of support, but he was getting major plantar issues. And then he switched to a more minimalistic shoe and he had no plantar for about eight to 10 months. And then suddenly, you know, he started to get some heel pain. So he was wondering if it's maybe footwear related or if it's the insoles or mechanics. What do you think? Well, first of all, I have been communicating with him. He's reached out to me and we've chatted back and forth a little bit and he suggested he'd love to come out here and his wife i think is having a baby isn't she isn't she yeah gosh what is is. i was telling him what is it with the ocr guys man they're fertile it's like he everybody i talk to is either well matt campione congratulations his wife had a baby baby yesterday beautiful baby yeah and i'm telling you man it's like everybody i talk to is like boofing babies these days yeah, it's the vibe, man. I think I think it's just the general the general demographic of OCR athletes. Everyone's starting to have babies. You guys are sexy, life. man. The women can't leave you alone. Must be. It's all the mud. In respect to his question, 
first of all, I've said it a million times, I'm going to say it again. When you start looking at the shoe as the reason why you're having a problem, you're already barking up the wrong tree. It is always a function of the way you move. Now, if you put different surfaces beneath your foot, that's going to have effect, but it's rarely a beneficial effect. Unless, for example, you have something that is really insulting your foot and you get rid of it, which was the case that he discussed. He got away from a, a shoe that was supposedly controlling his foot, giving him stability, support, uh, words like that that I hear a lot. And then he got rid of it all, and all of a sudden all these problems started going away because his foot started to find the ground and start to make proper decisions, becoming unbridled, I guess is the term I, I would like to use. When yeah. your foot starts to identify ground contact, ground reaction, it starts to take care of its own. When you depend on the shoe to do this for you, you run into all sorts of trouble. Suggesting that, well, maybe I should go to a different shoe, uh, no. I, I can tell you right off, when he starts exhibiting this problem at the heel, it's because he's landing on it. He's probably heel striking, and he was strong enough early enough on to get away with it, but now without any support back there, he used to have a lot of cushion under the heel that would save him when he made mistakes. It's not there anymore. And so the, the solution isn't going back to a cushy sole. The solution is to correct the way he's moving. Yeah, no, well, that, and that makes total sense. I mean, I was I was thinking back to how it was back in the day when I was recovering from back surgery, and the shoe that I ran in back in the day it was a nine. I think it was the New Balance, like nine eighty. They're like thickest, fattest, yep. most orthotic shoe around, and I was running with those shoes for like three, four months, something like that, and I was running on trail with them. And I just started noticing that, like, I would be getting knee pain from running. I mean, my back felt fine, but I started getting knee pain. And the big reason was because I had no idea of the contact that I was making on the ground, and I was heel striking like crazy. And so then I transitioned into minimalistic footwear, and obviously, you know, like, oh, well, now I'm not heel striking. But then suddenly I started getting pain in other places. And so I think it's also um, important to, as far as switching shoes go, to always make sure to kind of, like, transition slowly into whatever shoes that you're going to be working into, right? Well, yes. I guess the global answer would be yes. Uh, I got a guy, somebody that you know, Alan Lewis. He was one of the guys that attended our clinic when we did it in, in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. Alan has been having some issues. He reached out to me and suggested that he may have made too radical a shift from the type of shoe he was wearing to something more minimal. And it wasn't a good plan for him. And my advice yeah. to him was, to find kind of a mid path, I recommended somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five mil drop, yeah. uh, opposed to the the drastic move he made from a really tall shoe, ten mil, eleven mil down to like uh, zero drop was because he he inherently has very tight calves anyway, and so yeah. for someone like that, that's just not a good move. On paper, the concept of being in a zero drop shoe is a good idea. But if you're really, really tight or you're just not used to it, it's probably better you transition slowly. So while we're on that topic, the other thing, and I thought it would be a good thing to talk about because most of the people that I, I speak with that have this issue with transitioning from heel striking to midfoot, what happens is they change the way they approach their run from hitting the back of their foot to hitting the front of their foot. Yeah. And in so doing, 
they haven't changed the amount of volume or intensity that they're throwing down. Yeah. So let's just say you're out there running 40 miles a week and you've got a couple days where you're going out pretty hard, and then all of a sudden you try to do the same thing, but you're using fresh muscle. Yeah. Well, it doesn't work. You're going to find that you're going to overload your calves. You're going to cause some overuse injuries. And in the first week of having done that, you're going to go, nah, I don't want to do this. This is killing me. Yeah, and that's why it feels like, you're, like your calves are going to explode from only forefoot striking and not letting that heel touch down like yeah, they make sure to always yeah. drill into people's heads. So it's really tough. It's, you know, it's not any, what I've learned is it's not an easy thing to do on your own. Can't learn it from a book. I, know, I can't tell you how many people have told me they read XYZ books on the topic of transitioning from their heel striking to their midfoot, and they couldn't seem to find their way. They really do need somebody to walk them through it and make sure that they're doing the right thing, identify whether they're making proper contact with the ground, whether they're allowing their heel to light down effectively. And these are things that do require a little bit of attention and detail, and it takes time. You've got to allow yourself a little bit of time. But at the same token, it's not forever. It's not something that's going to be like, you know, like a five-month project. I find no, that, no. yeah, typically in a couple of weeks, I can usually get people to a pretty good place. Yeah, no, and I mean, obviously, just, you know, not increasing your mileage too too ridiculously or too fast. Like, I mean, I remember the first time I really started getting in, getting into minimalistic footwear, I, I, I wore minimuses during a Ragnar relay, you know, and at and by the end of it, like my hips were shot and my caps felt like they were going to explode. So yeah. I went back to the other shoes that I was wearing and kind of just worked into wearing the that footwear and stuff like that. And then obviously, you know, slowly over time, making sure to change my form and started working with you. And well, the, the rest is history. But actually talking talking about, uh, you know, making sure to run with, with the right form and then also obviously with cadence, kind of something that, that keeps coming up as I'm reading these questions from guys. Um, and, and from the girls, you know, my, uh, one of the guys, Chris, he's asking me about cadence training more specifically. So like if you should start your runs at 180 or if you should kind of start at a lower cadence and work your way into the 180, because some people feel that they can't hold a 180 unless it's a faster pace because otherwise it feels uncomfortable. So what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I want to say that number one, you have to adapt to the cadence. You can't work your way up to it. You can't, like, sometimes go slower, sometimes go faster. What you want to do is teach yourself to adhere to that stride frequency. What I'll do with people, if I have them in my lab, is I will purposely put them at about four miles per hour, and I have them jogging with proper form at 180 steps per minute. And I will just hold them there. I'll force them to stay there at that ridiculously slow and uncomfortable pace. And eventually they start to pick up on it. Now, as I start to increase the speed of the belt, it becomes easier for them to adapt to the 180. Because what happens is, as the belt starts to move faster, the only way you can accommodate the speed of the belt is by opening up your stride. You'll get to a place when your stride opens up more comfortably it starts to feel pretty good to you. So the problem that most people have initially with the whole adaptation to cadence is they, they're just not used to it. They're just not used to it yet. It takes a little while. If you've ever been in a spinning class, I guess this is the best analogy I know, you get on this bike, 
and the crazy chick on the you know instructor's bike is like moving at warp speed on the on the wheel and you're all trying to do the same thing and your quads are on fire because you're so unaccustomed to that revolutions per minute it's very much like that with running the first week or so it's very very tedious and strugglesome to try to get your cadence up but it's been proven that right at about 180 strides per minute commonly is the most efficient rate of cadence that you could adapt to while you're running and because it becomes a function of you against gravity the longer you're in contact with the ground the more load you're taking on 160 yep. strides per minute forces you to take on way too much load per step and if you're doing it improperly it's tantamount to disaster eventually it really starts to cause problems for you I guess my answer is slow down and progressively speed up until eventually this whole 180 strides per minute works for you. But don't try to say, well, I'm going to spend the first week at 170, and then eventually when that gets easier, go to 180. I've never had anybody that I couldn't get to adapt to 180 in my presence. It's just a function of being a little bit lazy about it, not really willing to put up with it because it feels so foreign. They're not willing to put up with it. But at the end of the day, yes, 180 works, and yes, do what you can to stay there, and yes, bring the metronome with you to make sure you're there. That blasted metronome. <laughs> make sure make sure it's a good metronome, too, not one that has really stupid sounds like wood taps or... Oh, my God. I'm so glad like you that. said that. Yeah. You know, I always ask people what kind of phone they have, and if, if they're using an iPhone, the metronome to use is called Metro Timer. And all it's going to do is give you that little, that little tapping sound on the beat. But this that thing was on, was on beat right there. Was that you or was yeah, that, that was me? Wow. <laughs> but then you got the the Android folks, and the metronome that you get on the Android is like cha-cha music. It's ding ding bong bong, ding ding bong bong. I'm like, that shut terrible. that thing off, please. Shut that off. Use my phone. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine trying to run down the road. It's like Fred Flintstone running down the road. You know how the sound effects they used to have with the cartoons? Yeah. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds atrocious, definitely. Yeah. All right, do we do we want to do this uh, this next question? Yeah, yeah. All right, so we got, uh, let's see, what's another good one? This one's from, from uh, Ryan, Wiz, Wiz, I'm going to butcher his name, Wisniewski. Uh, will increased speed on flats at a given heart rate equate to increased speeds when climbing at a similar ratio since climbing utilizes much more strength movements? I thought that was a pretty good question. I'm trying to understand the question. So is he asking, he said ratio and then he said heart rate. So if he's asking, is it? So if you're moving faster on a flat at like a given heart rate, like let's say me at 150 beats per minute, I'm moving at a 625. Is that going to equate to an increased speed when I'm climbing at a similar heart rate? Since climbing utilizes much more strength, that's kind of the way I'm understanding. No, I don't think so. I, I think yeah. they're really pretty much two different animals. I I totally agree because that's how I feel every time I jump on a treadmill or incline training. Right. And I think that the advantage of doing, well, I have a lot of my clients doing hill repeats, various types of hill repeats. And the hill repeats are really a function of developing hip strength. And the stronger you are, the more economical you can be when you're running 
on any terrain, any given speed, any given environment, it's just going to be easier. All right. So how does the heart rate come into play, though, with this? Stuff? Well, heart rate's cost. So if you're saying, I can run a 625 at 150 beats per minute on a flat, you're not going to run a 625 going up an incline because you're, you're, you're running against gravity. The cost no. factor is going to go up. Your heart rate's going to go through the roof. Yeah, it's going to explode. If you, say, if you just decide, well, I'm going to pull a 625 on this 30% grade, and I don't want my heart rate to go past what it goes on the flat, good luck with that. It's not going to work. Yeah. Now, but I would tell you uh, the other way around, if you did a lot of hill repeats, and you're, let's say, for example, you're doing one-minute hill repeats on a 20% grade, just, just to give you a, a factor. And the outcome is, is that at the top of each of those, you're, you're pegging about 170 beats per minute. You take that back to some flat ground, odds are whatever your cost used to be to run a particular pace is going to be much quicker because you're just going to be stronger. you got more horsepower. It's going to lower the cost economically for you, and I think you probably end up going faster. But I've heard in the past, uh, you know, just like on, on the grapevine, like some people say like, oh, well, the more you run on hills, the slower you get on the flats. Like what, what, what's the deal with that? Is that just total BS or what? No, and I kind of understand that as well. I think what happens is that if all you do is run on hills, then your system, the way you drive, just uh, neurologically, the way you're driving your body is different. And that's why you, you need to do both. I rarely would have anybody just do hills. Or rarely yeah. would I have anybody just do flat running. Actually, what I do with novices, I have them do the hill, hill repeats first to bring their VO2 up, to get their, their engines a little bit more powerful, get their heart stronger. And then I'll put them on the flats, and we focus on the cadence thing and focus on proper running mechanics, focus on staying more aerobic and really developing that whole aerobic system. But it's a one-two punch. You know, the the two things together are much more powerful than one thing versus the other. Yeah. Well, so what about, I mean, with that, like, I mean, when you're combining these two things and on top of that thrown in the heart rate training, like if people are, like, are programming with you or programming with myself and Yance, I mean, like, a lot of times people are asking about, about soreness, you know, and how to deal with it and work through it and, and kind of tough it out. And, I mean, I'll say, like, sometimes, you know, myself like fresh in the week i'll run i'll do my my daily run my necessity run and i'll be moving quick and my heart rate will be low but then by the end of the week that necessity run i'm starting to feel starting to feel a little bit more fried in my legs from all the volume that i've been putting into it and even though i'm holding that same time and my heart rate's just about the same and my legs just feel like like lead you know and i mean like how do people deal with soreness like that i guess the better question is should you that should you yeah i mean I think that when you go into a run or a training and you're really battling with a lot of issues, that's probably your body telling you that the thing to do today would be to take a day off. Yeah. And people hate when I tell them that. But yeah. listen, I'm telling you, I like to go hard when, when the moment is right, and I like to respect the need for recovery. Because yeah. people need to understand that you do not improve while you work. You improve while you rest. You have yeah. to put in the appropriate amount of work, and then that overload is going to pay you back. It's called supercompensation. We talked about it earlier. I had a couple guys that I, I scolded that I'm coaching right now because I threw some work at them. And they were like, oh, my God, what did you do to me, you know? And they're saying, I, my legs are noodles today. I don't know if, you know, my attitude is, 
if you're beat down, take a day off. Come back yeah. stronger, and then you'll find that odds are you'll you'll be able to recover and put a couple of these workouts back to back where before yeah. you could not. Or do something else too. I mean, like a lot of times, like on Monday, you know, I just I couldn't do it, man. I had I had like just over sixty miles for the week uh, before that, and you know, on on Saturday I had a big run with with one of my friends. We went up into the mountains and just ran in the snow and in a blizzard and it was it was crazy we ended up running like 13 miles with just over 2,000 feet of gain and come Monday I mean I, I had something programmed and I just all day I was kind of feeling in the funk and I got to the gym and I stepped onto the treadmill and I looked at what my heart rate was at even though I hadn't even started yet and I'm like you know what my body's just saying don't don't do it today and instead I just did some bouldering and took it easy but then I went out on the track on Tuesday to do a track workout and I mean my heart rate was on point my legs were moving great and I mean, I was running 400s with minimal recovery at it, like just over a five-minute pace. So, I mean, it definitely pays to just listen to your body and 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 accept the fact that you're a human being and not a damn machine. Yeah. Have you ever body surfed before? Uh, I mean, not out here. There's not a whole lot of waves. No, on I the, get that, but you're, you've been in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I guess where I'm going with this, and it's kind of a silly analogy, but it came to mind, is that try to fight the ocean. Try to have your way with the ocean when it's trying to slap you on the beach and see who wins, right? You just got to learn to work with it, buddy. You got to learn to to identify what is reasonable and what is not. And the hardest thing for people to do is rein back when they need to rein back. I purposely will shove my guys into the recovery closet when I start to hear comments like their body is beat down and they're telling me, oh, I better suck it up. And, you know, no, 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 no. In battle, you're you're going to have to suck it up. But yeah. you don't go into battle beat down. If you're smart, you prepare yourself for battle so that when you get there, you've got your guns ready to fire, you're good to go, right? But yeah. don't go in there with half-ass because it's not going to work. You don't go into races. That's why I don't like people doing doubles and triple races in a weekend. I've been getting this question a lot this week because there's a lot of races showing up these days. And triple weekend. They'll yeah, do a trifecta oh, weekend yeah. or they'll do a, a sprint yeah. super back to back. And I tell all my athletes, don't do it. Or if you if you, you absolutely cannot resist, it's like me with donuts. Like if you absolutely cannot resist, like fine. If you're gonna race again on Sunday, don't actually race it. Just take it, you know, if it's a sprint, walk the sprint or or help a bunch of people who have never done that stuff before. Do something where you just take it nice and easy, nice and slow, but please for the love of God, do not race back to back days because you're gonna you're gonna your recovery is just gonna go Ah, it's going to take way longer, and you're going to feel like crap. I think that more so what happens is, let's say that it's Thursday, and you've made the decision that you're going to race three events over the weekend. You've already started to set the training table for your brain to start moderating the work. You're going to have mediocre performances over all three of those days, or probably a regression in your ability to perform over the course of those three days. Yeah. And you'll get people to say, oh, no, man, I'm usually better on the third day. Well, maybe because they consciously rein back on the first two days uh, or the first two races and or even unconsciously rein back. You need to get your guns ready to fire, man. You want to be 100% for the race you do. I would rather see somebody win a race on Saturday and be a spectator on Sunday or a spectator on Saturday and a winner on Sunday. Pick your battles, win your battles. There's not much to be gained 
by coming in in 20th place when you came in in first place the day before? Because everybody's yeah. looking at it like, what happened to you? Or I look at I did to so and so, you know, <laughs> you know I just uh, not not me, man. I I don't. It's just like putting a fighter into the ring just because it was the day he was supposed to fight when you knew yeah. it was a bad idea. Yeah. You you know yeah. I don't know if you knew this, but I pulled a fighter from a world championship bout that was promoted on HBO by Golden Boy Productions. It was like on television every day promoting this big fight. This guy's an undefeated featherweight champion of the world. He's going to defend his title. I pulled him from the fight a week before he was supposed to show up. He'd already been paid all the upfront money and all this stuff went off. And I pulled him because he wasn't ready to fight. And my argument was he had some issues that were were dangerous for him. Presented a situation yeah. where because his lungs were a little troubled, that it, there's a likelihood he could get, he could be killed in the yeah. fight. I pulled him. And, and how to go after Well, guess what? Uh, four months later, they rescheduled the fight. He went into the ring and beat the dog crap out of the guy he was supposed to fight. Had he gone into the ring that day, he would have lost his title, and he would have fallen off the map. Nobody would have known who he was anymore. I like to pick my fight. So you do it. Yep. So you got to get it done. Yep. I, I agree. That's That's been the hardest thing right now. I mean, I've been on a three-month training block right now, and uh, I've had a lot of opportunities to go race and go have a good time. But I'm like, you know what? It's not it's not worth it. Always got to keep those uh, those big goals in mind. You got to pick your year. battles, man. You really do. I have, I have picked my 50-kilometer battle next weekend. So. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, it'll be the UB, the Ultra Beast. Norm's making a fun course out there in New Jersey, so I'll be out there having a good time. All right, Ultra Beast. That's your uh, your thing these days, right? You're all about I, going long and hard. I like, I you know what? I'm all about going long and hard. What can I say? I'm a big fan of, of the of the crazy distances now. I'm grant it's either so here it's either got to be a real short and nasty and messed up race, or it's got to be a really long and nasty and messed up race. I can't do the middle distances; they bore me. Cool. Well, you know, different strokes for different folks. And as you know, you know, me coaching Hunter, I don't like him in long stuff. I don't even like mm-hmm. him to do it. And you know, he's going to do that Camp Kokoro or whatever it is this uh, this week. And that's just a gruel fest over the course of uh, 60 hours, I think it is. And he likes doing that kind I'm of thing. Little, I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, i got to tell you, that's not the kind of thing that he's going to win. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's built to go fast and hard. And that's not a fast and hard kind of an event. And you, on the other hand, you're the polar opposite. You look at athletes like Amelia Boone. She's just a monster. The the longer, the dirtier, the harder the event, the more likely she is to beat you down. And she loves that stuff. But same token, she's not going to be able to, to hold up with some of the quicker people in the shorter events is my take. Well, don't worry. The poodle and I are going to kill it in world's toughest mutter this uh, this this fall this winter i don't even know what time of year it is but it'll be a good time the wolf pack will be out there having, yeah, having there you go so. let's talk about fort collins let's talk about yeah. this clinic we're going to do it's uh well for one thing this town is freaking awesome i'm so glad i moved out here not i i got tons of mountains tons of places to play and it's uh it's been a lot of fun and training at altitude has been an interesting to get used to but yeah let's let's talk about the clinic what we got it on uh june 11th and 12th right yep I know, I was saying Saturday what we're doing. the Is it RMR and VO2 on Saturday? Yeah. Are you also doing gate? Yeah. Well, what I was going to do is I was going to break it down. So for people that are interested or been thinking about it or just curious about it, 
The way we do these clinics when we're traveling is the first day we like to do the metabolic assessments. And the yep. metabolic assessments, in my mind, are extremely important. What you're basically doing is finding out the way your body responds to work and how many calories your body requires to perform. And what I mean by that, the resting metabolic assessment, which is referred to as RMR, the term is resting metabolic rate, identifies how many calories your body requires within a 24-hour period if you don't do a thing. Once you know that, then you start factoring in what your day looks like and how much intensity you're throwing into your workouts and what the caloric cost is associated with it. And that's and kind of different for everybody, isn't it? It's absolutely different for everybody. And once you know how many calories your body is going to need in order to perform for a given day, then you know how many calories to put in it, as opposed to taking in too few, taking in too many, and never seem to have it just right. I'm telling you, once you get this dialed in and you really pay attention to what you should be getting versus what you think you should be getting, you start dropping body fat, you start yeah. ma maintaining lean mass, and your performance is improved because your energy is always on par. So yeah, it's a really critical test. Most people think it's a function of determining whether you're fat or not fat. It's not like that yeah. at all. No, well, I remember I, you had me uh, lay down and on the on the little like massage table or right. whatever and do that thing, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Like I thought I was supposed to be in a Gatorade commercial right now, and it uh, <laughs> and it and I and I learned a ton. I mean, it was kind of crazy, and now I've I've managed. You know, a year later, I'm still applying what I learned back then, and it's and it's kind of cool to see all the all the growth I've made, especially, you know, like knowing like how many calories you need per hour when it comes to like training and also when you're not training and all that stuff. I've, I've really been able to apply that effectively. And it's been, it's been awesome to like not feel beat to crap at the end of a workout because I was taking in the right amount of calories and electrolytes and what have you. Yeah. Well, the other end of it is it shows you how well your body is utilizing fat versus sugar at rest. That's and right. you'd, you'd be surprised how many people will find that by doing nothing, just lying there, their body is preferentially pulling off the sugar stores, which is yeah. bad juju. That that can turn into some really bad outcomes when you start training. So it's definitely something that you want to look at. It's definitely something, having done it, you can make some adjustments. It's going to improve your metabolism. So it's a really good bit of information. And then, of course, the VO2 test, the other thing that people are freaked out about they're all expecting they're going to get on this thing and it's going to be a beatdown, and it really is not. It's more a function of identifying what that metabolic shift point is, where yeah. your body's gone away from burning fat to burning sugar exclusively. Yeah. And once you know that, then you can start setting up your training protocols in such a way that all of the training is appropriate. You're never just kind of winging it, having bad days, good days. Yeah. You always are proactive about your approach. So this whole thing with heart rate training to begin with, it's not a function of a smoke detector and doing a, com a comparative analysis. Well, man, I did this and my heart rate was like that, and I did this other thing and my heart rate was less. That's just reactionary. What you want to do yeah. is proactively work the heart rate relative to what you know the outcome will be for having done what you've done. And that's a whole, whole different approach to training for a lot of people. And if you look yeah. at professional cyclists, back in the day, they would never get on a bike without a heart rate monitor. Now they're following power, and eventually, yeah. you're going to see very soon, by the way, 
the uh, training community as runners are going to start looking at power output. There's already some devices out there that are very, very interesting. You know, obviously, one of my sponsors, RPM Square, has got these power meters that go into your shoes, and that's going to be a big deal. By the way, those things uh, they just they just offered up a discount. I think they just dropped like 200 bucks from the price. And people that are looking at my podcast site will see the banner link if they clip on that. They're going to get a break on it if they're looking for it. But anyway. For, I, for, I think i got to get a pair of those because I'd be really curious. I mean, because at this point I'm like, you know, my heart rate is pretty much on point for just about every run. I think the only time I ever, I ever kind of let loose might be at the end of a workout if I'm feeling really good. And even then I won't. I won't stray too far away from that, from those ranges that I'm supposed to stick to. But, but damn, that sounds really cool as far as those, uh, those souls. And especially because I remember you did a podcast a while back. I don't remember with who it was, but you guys were talking about measuring power and wattage on a bike and not just heart rate because heart rate is, like you said, kind of reactionary. Or it's, it's more like a demonstration of like the, the amount of, of strain that it puts on your body as opposed to what you're actually doing, right? Well, the, the difference for cycling is that heart rate lags behind a little bit where power is instantaneous. Yeah. So you you can get a completely different and more precise read from power output. The problem that we've, we face as runners is that because we leave the ground and we come back to the ground, the there's power that's being used to push you up into space. We're on a bike because you're in contact with the Earth the whole time. It's all linear force production. It's got oh, nothing to do right. with yeah, yeah, it. So yeah. they gotta, they got to sort that out. They're working on it. Uh, when they get that worked out, when they have an algorithm set up where they can start looking at the difference between linear force production versus this vertical oscillation force production, being able to separate those two functions is going to be a really, really cool thing. But I still hold out that heart rate is always going to be important because that's yeah. a function of how your body's responding to the work you're doing. Definitely. Yeah. No, it sounds it sounds like it. I mean, I would, and man, now you got me thinking about vertical oscillation. Something to talk about for next time, for yeah. sure. Yeah, well, and, and then, by the way, you're due for a test. The numbers you're looking I, at probably aren't going to work for you anymore. You need to get tested again. Yeah, no, I know. I got to I gotta come down to L.A. Well, I know I'm going to be I'm gonna be in San Francisco for uh, doing a much at the Madness in May. That'll be a good time. So maybe I can come down before that, and I'll, I'll visit you in the secret lab, and we'll have some fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Let's talk about day two. We've done we've done the testing on day one. Day two, we're going to meet on a track or yes, some flat response kind of a scenario where there's no environmental issues to contend with. Yeah. And we're going to video people moving. We're going to show yeah. everybody individually what they're doing with the way they're moving and what kind of things we need to do to correct them. And then we're going to show them how to make those corrections. So we were talking earlier about how hard it is to make these transitions from heel striking to midfoot running. When when we sit down with you and we start to go through this with people, we are very successful in getting people to understand what they're trying to accomplish. And then well, you're able to to put it into. I mean, it kind of makes sense when you actually get to look at it because a lot of people will be like, "Oh, well, I'm not." Man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't heel strike, and it's like, uh, "I'm sorry to tell you, but the video says otherwise." Yeah, exactly right. And and you know, it's funny because. I do the video for people to see it. It's not a function of whether I'm trying to figure out whether they're doing it or not. I, I pick it up in a matter of a couple seconds. Yeah. But for them to see it, it's kind of that come-to-Jesus meeting where I say, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. And then it's easier to get in their heads. It's easier to help them to understand what they need to do. And it's not uncommon for us to be able to do a follow-up video before the end of the day and show them the corrections they've made and how much better they're moving. 
And it's not, I mean, we did this in, uh, we were in Baton Rouge. And we're in Baton Rouge. We videoed people initially, and we videoed them towards the end of the day. And I was so proud of them because, I mean, hands down, all of them were moving so much better by the time we were finished with them. It was really remarkable. So having somebody that has a clue to show you how to make these transitions and physically get involved with you while you're trying to make these transitions is very, very powerful stuff. And as you know, we've been doing this a long time. And, I mean, you're going to get guys who have opinions. You're going to get guys that are going to tell you about their physical therapist and this professional da-da-da-da-da. But, dude, this is what we do. I've been doing this forever. And, you know, you've been involved. And when you get them out and start working the terrain with them, it's also very powerful stuff. You've got to practice this up and downhill stuff, right? Oh, definitely. Well, that's and – it, and it's kind of funny because you think like, oh, well, like we talk about this whole flat response thing, which is like not really running into any, any, any sort of obstacles or any sort of issues on the terrain you're running in. But the reality, I mean, kind of like we always sort of talk about is saying that how that doesn't go out the window when you hit trails. I mean, you're still shooting for that cadence. You're still – shooting for that good arm swing and all those important little little pieces that come together to make sure that that you're not only running strong and fast but that you're also like preventing yourself from rolling an ankle or from getting that IT band flaring up or whatever else it is that's been that goes on that's that's commonplace injuries unfortunately in OCR and that people just like to run themselves to the ground with you know they're like oh well screw it I got three races next weekend I guess I'll just deal with this IT oh yeah band. I'll fix it later right exactly yeah I, I sent somebody home this morning I got some people going to run the Big Sur Marathon this weekend. And we were out for the final run today, and it was just ugly. I said, you know what? Go home, ice your feet, tape them. I gave them instructions on what to do in order to patch the wound as best we can so we could throw down this weekend without embarrassing ourselves. But anyway, the drill is two days packed full of information, Plenty of opportunity. Got the master of the mountain. You've shown yourself to be the lover of difficult things to do on the mountain. And who better to to instruct this whole get to know your terrain than Miguel Medina? Well, thanks, Richard. You know, I I'm not. I didn't start out as like a big time athlete by any means. You know, I didn't run cross country or track and. Uh, in college or anything like that. I wasn't D2 or D3 or D1. I mean, I was, I was a, a computer, <laughs> a couch potato, a, a web surfer. Uh, you know, I just played tons of games and, and studied a lot and slowly got into the whole fitness thing. And, and I'd like to think that because of that, because of my experiences, I'm kind of able to explain things in a way that, that makes sense to people, you know, because we do throw a ton of information at people over these two weeks. It could be a little intimidating or dark. Two days. But I don't, Huh? Two days. Yeah, and two days at that. But but you know what? I think we do a great job of compartmentalizing. Feels like two it. weeks. It it but but you know what? When you leave, like initially, when you leave the thing, you're like, holy crap! Like, how am I going to apply it all? And then suddenly, when you're in the middle of your run, it just kind of makes it. It all just kind of clicks clicks into into motion. You know, it's like it's like when you when you switch gears on a bike and it just has that perfectly smooth transition. And I'd like to think that that's that's kind of what we tend to do. And and I mean, I can just think back to like one of one of our own athletes or one of, one of my guys from Yancey Camp, Robert Herrera. I mean, I sent him to you, and he was the he was the monster mash man. Every time you you'd see him running, I'd want to play that song because that's just how he would move when he was running. And and now, I mean, I look at his pictures when he goes for a run, man, and he looks like a track star on the trails. It's kind of ridiculous. So lots of guys like that. Oscar Romero looked really really good. I can yeah. just think, of, well, you, 
let's face it. Oh. I mean, you had some issues, and you you're running like a deer now. I uh, had some serious issues. I was, yeah, well, I'm still working on them. I'm not. I'm. I am by no means perfect, but I'd like to think that I'm getting damn close to it working with you. A lot of guys out there that have been through and have drank the Kool Aid, just coming out are stellar the way they're moving these days. So. Um, I, I, it, I, it's a, it's exciting. I, I just get so excited about it because I see the transformation. I see these people that are moving so well. It's like the difference between being like Bruce Lee, knowing karate, and just trying to hit somebody with your purse, right? Yeah, definitely. That's a good analogy. I was going to say, I thought you were comparing like Bruce Lee to like Neo from The Matrix, but you know what? I like that one more. <laughs> I think, well, and, and also, I, I was just. You know, on top of that, aside from all this performance stuff, at the end of the day, all of us, I'd like to think, love running. And I love the fact that I'm running, you know, right now it's mid-March and my mileage is 20 miles more than what it was this time last year. And I'm running every single one of those miles without any IT pain, without any ankle issues, without any sort of problems and it's kind of amazing like i'm about to go on a two-day camping trip and i'll be spending a good deal of time running around in the mountains chasing goats and stuff like that and it'll uh and and i'm not going to have any any pain or any issues to worry about i'm not going to have to like nurse my my it band or anything because i'm just i'm on top of it and it's freaking that's awesome. the best part dude that is the best part when you can run and not concern yourself with whether too much is going to be a problem that's a beautiful thing yeah well, again, thank you, Richard. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> so listen, you know what? We need to uh, spice this up for people that are listening. If you come to Fort Collins and you register for this event early, the first 10 people, we're going to have a little contest. I'm going to give somebody a pair of Rudy Project Rydon sunglasses with the Impact X and Photochromatic. These are like $175 a pair of sunglasses. I wear them myself. They're the greatest sunglasses on the planet, in my opinion. I'm going to give a pair to somebody. Got to register wow. early. You got to register. I'm just going to draw somebody out of the 10 that register. And uh, to register, if somebody's listening and wants to check it out, you go to naturalrunningcoach.net. Pull up clinics, and you'll find the details there. You can register there. Tell your friends about it. All right, man, so I will see you in May, maybe even uh, if we don't see you in May for sure, we're going to see you in June, June 11th and 12th, Fort Collins, Colorado. And if you miss us there, guess what? We're going back to Texas. I'm hoping to go back this time to Houston, Texas in November, do a preseason wrap-up, OCR, off-season training. Let's do this. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.